Section 20 of Mimic Life. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. The Unknown Tragedian by Anna Cora Mawat Ritchie. Chapter 4 Four days dragged wearily on. No tidings came from Mortimer. His mysterious absence threw an additional weight upon Elma's already oppressed spirits. Mr. Ruthven, after struggling upon the stage for two nights, called down the displeasure of the audience by his imperfect assumption of his favorite villains, fell ill and was confined to his bed. His constant query was, Has Gerald come yet? Has Gerald been heard from? and when the same sad answer was repeated he would ask for the fiftieth time in an upbraiding tone elma did you say anything to distress him did you could you ill-treat mortimer her assurances satisfied him only for the moment nature's foster nurse repose fled from him no sweet oblivion closed his straining restless eyes Grief had outstripped time, in deadening all his faculties. He became helpless, petulant, and childish. He could not endure Elma to be absent from his side, yet he would not allow her to relinquish the arduous professional duties which unavoidably separated her from him during a portion of the morning and the whole of the evening. The maid of Merendorp, was the play represented on the fourth night after Mortimer's sudden disappearance. The filial devotion of the heroine stirred a deep spring in Elma's bosom. She could not but think of her suffering, perhaps dying father. Her acting won a supremacy over the minds of her audience never before attained. The play was over. She was passing to her chamber to disrobe, and hastened home, when she beheld in the obscure distance a familiar form. How like Mortimer, she ejaculated internally. The figure drew nearer. An exclamation of joy broke from her lips. She rushed towards it and seized the cold, nerveless hand. You have returned. Is it in you, indeed? No ill has befallen you? Heaven be praised a thousand and a thousand times. There was no possibility of mistaking the rapture that betrayed itself in her tone, her mien, her glowing countenance. Those rare, delicious auguries shed their melting warmth on Mortimer's chilled heart. The dress of the tragedian was travel-stained and disordered. His boots were pierced in many places, as though he had walked over rough roads for a long distance. His hair hung matted and entangled about his bloodless face. His lacklustre eyes had the peculiar dreamy look of a recent awakening from a somnambulic trance. "'Tell me, where have you been?' questioned Elma, with anxious interest. "'I do not know. Walking through the woods, I believe. I cannot tell where.' "'Walking all this time, without shelter, without food, without sleep? Impossible!' "'How long is it, then?' he asked abstractedly. Four days since you left us,' Mortimer seemed to be reflecting, trying to calculate time, but he could or would give no further explanation. 
Several of the company had caught sight of him, and they gathered around with joyful welcomes. Elma had placed her arm in his. She was confident that his presence at her father's bedside would possess a remediate influence. "'You will continue your engagement? You will appear tomorrow night?' inquired the calculating manager. Elma's voice joined in. "'Do consent. You must not leave us. Your absence has terribly distressed my father. He is very ill.' "'Ill, indeed. Let us go to him directly,' returned Mortimer, with emotion. "'But your engagement! Surely you will conclude it. I have posters put out immediately.' "'Let me entreat you,' persisted Mr. Villers. "'I have no intention of breaking it,' replied Mr. Mortimer. Elma's stage raiment was quickly exchanged for her ordinary garments, and, accompanied by Mortimer and old Winifred, in a few moments she was on her way home. Her father was anxiously awaiting her return, counting the very minutes of her absence. He accosted her peevishly with, is it you at last the play must have been over an hour ago elma why do you neglect me so why did you not come sooner i was detained my dear father shall i bring in my apology do not be too much rejoiced for i am going to offer it in the person of a valued friend whose presence you have missed even more than you did mine mr ruthven raised himself upon his elbow has he come has he come mr mortimer cried elma mortimer entered at the summons the aged actor's delight bordered on the precepts of pain he could not ask where mortimer had been why he had gone he cared not to know it was enough that he had returned all the questions his tongue could frame were swallowed up in the entreaty you will not leave us again I am an old man now. Gerald, you will not leave us any more. Say yes to that. Mortimer turned to Elma. The eyes of her father followed the direction. Yes, yes, I know what that means. She is a girl of few words, yet she will also bid you stay, will you not, my daughter? Yes, replied Elma promptly. Mortimer, as readily, but with marked solemnity, answered, I will never leave you until she bid me. The pain-contracted, wrinkled features of the old man relaxed with a childlike calm. He lay gazing upon the two beloved beings until slumber, so long a fugitive, gently rocked his spirit, and with her balmy breathing closed his eyes. Elma feared that some sudden movement might disturb him. She softly rose and led the way to the boudoir adjoining, the door as she passed out. Elma, said Mortimer, when they were alone together, have I deceived myself? Was the joy you exhibited at my return all for your father's sake? Elma, while she sat at her father's couch, had nerved herself for this interview. I did not rejoice for my father's sake alone. Your unaccountable absence has given me great uneasiness, much pain. How shall I explain it, returned Mortimer. Your father told me of Lord Oranmore's suit and of your rejection. An accidental occurrence caused me to believe that you loved him. With that conviction, my heart seemed turned to stone. 
I might truly have said with the tortured moor, I strike it, and it hurts my hand. For I carried in my bosom a thing of marble coldness and of iron weight. I fear to tell you to what desperate deed I was tempted as I wandered. Stretched on the rack of doubt, I thought I could no longer face the ills of this harsh world. But my better angel stood beside me, and I held back my rash hand. I know not how long or whither I strayed or what chanced, until a voice whispered soothingly that I was the dupe of my own phantom-like fears. I had not learned from Elma's lips that she loved this brainless lord. That voice sent me back to ask the question. I do not love Lord Oramore. Never have loved him, never could love him, answered Elma firmly. Those words fall like the healing nectar drop upon the pestilence in my soul, and calm and purify its troubled, tainted atmosphere. If you had loved him, Elma, do not think that I could have thrust myself as a hideous barrier between you and happiness. Had you made such a choice, I must have trembled for your future. I would have prayed you to reflect, but... Though my soul is so infettered to your love, I would have broken the chain with resolute hand when I found that it hung heavily upon you. But this is not so. You do not love him. You have said it. I may pray you listen to me while I tell you all that you have been to me, all that you are, all that you can be. When I tell you how you may make or unmake, Though Elma did not interrupt him, though she sat with folded hands and half-bowed form and eyes bent down until the long, silky lashes cast a deep shadow on her cheek, Mortimer paused. Elma, actress as she was, could not banish from her countenance an expression of intense suffering. Your look renders me dumb. Elma, I implore you... Let me not deceive myself again. There is something I cannot comprehend. Give language to your thoughts, even to those which could pain me most. I entreat you, do not keep me a stranger to them. What shadow is upon your sweet countenance? You do not love Lord Oranmore. You would not marry him. Surely there is no other. In an instant, Elma regained her self-possession, which had forsaken her. She prevented his concluding sentence. I, it is that I, I do not desire to marry. Then, as she caught his searching eye, she added, Not while I feel as I do at this moment. For a brief space, the tragedian sat, pondering. God forgive me if I commit its ungenerous an action, he said. Many men have been guilty of such deeds when passion gained the mastery over their judgment, and they could accept no guidance. I fear myself. After a long silence, he added, Elma, I will but ask one sacrifice from you, one which perhaps I have no right to demand. For, though your mother joined our hands, I must relinquish you, if your heart does not ratify that solemn compact. I fear the effect upon my own mind, were I to give you wholly up. I ask but one promise from you. 
I would pray you to attach your name to a contract which my eyes can look upon and drink in comfort from, when I feel something dangerous battling inside me, when I have cause to fear that my blood begins my safer guides to rule, and passion, having my best judgment recoiled, essays to lead the way. Will you promise me never to give your hand while I live without my consent? Yes, gladly, replied Elma without hesitation. She rose and placed upon the table materials for writing. Mortimer dashed off a few lines and handed her the paper. She perused it, subscribed her name, and returned it with a brighter smile. A sound from the inner chamber sent Elma to her father's bedside. He was awake. His first inquiry was for Mortimer, who immediately answered in person. Mr. Ruthven begged his daughter to retire. Mortimer asked permission to watch beside his friend all night. The proposition was received with grateful acquiescence. Elma sank to rest with a lighter heart than had throbbed in her bosom since the death of her mother. She was spared the utterance of lip vows unechoed by her soul. She was saved from the commission of that legal sin which daily stains the life of thousands. She asked not the yearnings of her spirit might be accomplished. Their fulfillment lay with the great ruler of events. Whatever was best for the perfecting of her spiritual state, whatever would promote its healthfulness here and progression hereafter, that would surely be. In this confidence she was content. When she re-entered her father's chamber at an early hour the next morning, she found him conversing in a cheerful tone with Mortimer. Behold my physician, and the effects of his mystical power, was Mr. Ruthven's greeting as he pointed to Mortimer. With an affectionate frankness which she had never evinced towards him before, Elma placed her hand in that of the tragedian and looked in his face with tender gratitude. Our project, tell her our project, Gerald, while I spare speech, said Mr. Ruthven hilariously. We only wait for your consent, Elma, but the plan is your father's. He says that Dublin and the familiar scenes recalled old memories which have grown painful to him since your mother left us, that his health is broken, that he desires to travel, but he is too feeble to travel without um, a friend. A son, a son, a dear son, interrupted the old man warmly. True, a son, at least one who will delight in performing a son's duty. He proposes a round of engagements in England and Scotland for you, Elma, and myself. Assisted, assisted by me when I have strength, or I will have, added the invalid. Of course, assisted by your father when his health permits. We will travel through the British provinces. Perhaps go to England. No fear of Elma's not being appreciated there. Gerald has had so many solicitations from London managers, and it will be such an advantage for you, my child. Mortimer's countenance fell. He was unwilling to thwart the old man's whims or wishes. He had invariably declined all overtures from the metropolis. Time enough to decide about that, my dear father, said Elma, for she saw that it gave Mortimer pain to utter a denial. Then you consent, my child, 
willingly if we can obtain permission of mr villars we are under contract to him for the rest of the season i have a dessour to make him yield up his claims replied mortimer trust me the matter can be arranged and it was arranged though not without some difficulty for elma had become a sterling value to the theatre but mortimer conducted the transaction with the manager and what arguments he used did not transpire mortimer's engagement had been commenced on monday he absented himself four nights saturday evening alone remained upon that night he appeared with elma more than once he fancied that her eyes strayed to the box where as usual lord orinmore sat but he was now convinced that their direction was accidental on monday gerald mortimer with mr ruthven and his daughter started for a provincial tour end of section twenty